On today's episode of Survival Dispatch News, we're talking urban survival and what to do in the event of a nuclear strike. Today's video is sponsored by Top Don. Check out their JS3000 with 3000 amps of cranking power. And we're back with Mike Sterling, uh, EOD expert, very well-traveled. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Mike. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, you, you probably know more about bombs than anybody I've ever met. Uh, could you give us your background? You know, how did you get into, you know, bomb disposal? And uh, I know you're very well-traveled around the world as well. So uh, <clears throat> I was a combat engineer uh, for my first five years in the Army. And then uh, I uh, the big reduction in force was happening at the end of the Gulf War, uh, or the first Gulf War. And then, and I figured I had, I had to find a gig and, uh, I, I really liked blowing stuff up. I didn't like getting shot at. It was a good, it was a good fit. Uh, I also like putting my hands in my pockets and growing my mustache too long. So yeah, it was, it was a really good fit for me and I got into it. I got hooked and there was, there was no way that I could do anything else. So that, that's how I got into it. Did, um, 23 years in the army 18 of it as an eod as a master eod technician uh, thank you for um, your service by the way mike That's uh, hey, thanks for thanks for the great opportunities uh you you guys paid for me to do things that i would get arrested for in, in, in any other <laughs> society uh we uh yeah, I did. Like I said, did 23 years uh did two years as a uh as a contract instructor uh, when I got out teaching forensic, uh, studies, uh, for, for military EOD. And then after that, I went to work for, for ISSI. We are the, we're the oldest, uh, commercial bomb disposal company in, in the country. And, uh, now I'm the owner. Uh, so good for you. Yeah. So, so that's, that's how that goes. Uh, I spent time while I was on active duty. Uh, I spent time as a, uh, as a member of the ERG. Uh, that's the emergency response group used to be okay. nest a long time gotcha. ago. So I used to have to go to, I used to have to go to, to, uh, Sandia labs quite often take courses the like, uh, I was also a technical escort specialist. So chemical and biological weapons, uh, as well as, as well as radiological and nuclear devices, wow. uh, were on there. Uh, when the war first started, I was one of the few, uh, EOD technicians out there that also had a certification as a forensic investigator. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, a. Uh, it's it's a very broad world. Everybody says, "Oh, bomb disposal." They just defuse bombs. Oh, there is so much to it. There really is. So, and it's just the road that I happen to go down. So, uh, currently at ISSI, what what does your company do? You know, as far as services. <clears throat> so we uh, we perform we perform a lot of professional services for various government agencies. Um, uh we've got uh, of course we do we do everything literally i have a contract on one side doing doing cannonballs for the national park service all the way over okay. to we're working um we're going to be working with um um a, a major defense contractor on the replacement for the minuteman missile systems oh, uh wow. up in the dakota so we are literally doing cannonballs to nukes and everything in between we uh we do we do clean up on sites uh mostly for private folks uh consulting okay. uh, a lot of safety work 
things like that because they don't let you defuse bombs every day and uh <laughs> so uh yeah i mean we we do a lot of weird stuff uh out there just because it's a bad idea doesn't mean it's not going to be a good time uh so i assume that that some of the stuff you're doing is with uh law enforcement at various levels uh occasionally i consult for law enforcement okay. uh but law enforcement has public safety bomb technicians so they, and they're allowed to uh, they're allowed to handle IEDs, okay. improvised explosive yeah. devices, and commercial explosives. That is their entire mandate. Uh, we do also provide training services. Uh, yeah, we, we do quite a bit of training services for, uh, we've offered it for for law enforcement. Not a lot of law enforcement pays for for their their training most of the time uh but we've done we've done a couple of really cool exercises mostly from the red team side okay and then uh but for the military uh we're still well integrated with our with our active duty partners and also also national guard partners assisting with their training okay um for the younger generations that don't have the depth of knowledge that we have uh for the pre pre global war on terror uh, studies so uh, safe to assume, you know, b between ISSI, you know, working with the National Guard and other military branches and 23 years in the Army, um, you've got some experience in urban centers, in theaters of war uh, that are, you know, all hell's breaking loose. Yeah, that I did sort two, of thing. I did two tours in Iraq. Um, and the last tour was almost exclusively in the Baghdad region. Wow. So I don't like cities at all. <laughs> if I can stay out of them, I will. Especially uh, the 2008 Battle of Sadr City. Uh, we were, I, I was, my crew was there for that, and that just that was six weeks of no fun at all. Wow, I can only imagine. So you know, I mentioned to you before we started talking uh, or recording this episode that uh, we poll our audience pretty heavily and uh, we asked the audience you know what they would like to know more on and 54 percent of them came back and said they would like to have more coverage on urban survival so it's it's you know it, it seems it's interesting because it's a good fit with your you know your background your education your training all those sort of things so it, give me the, you know some of the basics like when you were in in that battle and you know iraq and stuff that went on for six weeks what are the things that you all practice then that could be beneficial to the average person who finds themselves in a city that's say under siege uh you know whether it be a nuclear bomb or not let's just start like with regular urban warfare stuff so <clears throat> i think uh I, I think probably one of the one of the big things that uh uh that we practiced a lot and i had um you know you you talk about it and and uh and then you go do it but i i and it was really pointed out by i can't remember the gentleman's name selco i think it is who uh who was in sarajevo during the during the siege oh, of sarajevo yeah um one of the big things that he talks about there is you stop walking in straight lines running anything like that and you just start naturally bouncing from cover to cover to cover uh not concealment i mean if concealment's all you've got but yeah bouncing from cover to cover to cover naturally and i, I it's it's ridiculous because i still catch myself doing it today thank god my wife was in the army as well so she understands it so <laughs> but yeah uh cover to cover uh yeah and you're just looking for your next cover that and understanding uh 
getting your head wrapped around that third dimension of warfare. Most people are, are, you know, out left, right, out left, right with your scans. You start doing a lot of this. You start looking up a lot. Interesting. Yeah. You start looking up a lot that, and I'll tell you what, uh, for urban warfare comms are the biggest thing. And, and of course, in any kind of an operation, any sort of operation, I don't care if you're on the far, on the, you know, tier one military side, or if you are just a couple that's trying to prep comms are key and guess what's the absolute first thing that's going to fail on you each and every time right comms so comms are a continuous piece of work you you, if you don't have comms you don't have anything and when you get into an urban environment especially if you get a lot of concrete around you start getting your comms doing weird things so you're constantly having to look for as always high ground and high ground in an urban center always means something totally different than it does out in the countryside. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, maybe just to point out for the audience, I'm assuming that y'all had, you know, military grade Harris radios that are right. Many, many thousands of dollars. These are not, right. like, these aren't like a, say, a, you know, a consumer grade, right. you know, ham radio like this. The, Correct me if yeah, I'm wrong, but aren't those Harris's that worth something, something like ten, fifteen thousand dollars? They're worth age? a lot. I know, and you know what? I'll tell you what. So I was using a, I was using a one forty eight uh, at the time, and the ability to be able to free cop is great if you can get the fill into it correctly. Thank God, I had a great combo guy. I really, nice. really did. He kept me up and running all the time. I don't, I don't know how to do it. I, I'm, it's over my head. Um, uh, but the big thing was um, those systems also also work in the Blue Force tracker system or whatever it's called these days, um, yeah. the, the integrated system. So you're now you're now putting out um, you're, you're putting yourself onto the map and everybody can see. Yeah. And, and there's a there's a civilian component of that called ATAC, and, which is which is absolutely awesome um it's a wonderful tool especially for leaders in a you know in a uh in a technical environment like that i know a lot of people a lot of people i know use it for uh for search and rescue use and the like but boy i'll tell you what atac is great once you understand it take some take some classes on it understand how to use it atac is great um but the ability for somebody like a drone driver at 10,000 feet over my head to call me and he's in Nevada and he calls me through his drone and says, Hey man, don't go around that corner. There's a whole bunch of bad guys around there. Interesting. <laughs> yes, so, God. <laughs> uh, so ATAC is something that, uh, you know, your average consumer can get their hands on. Yeah. Wow. That's an ATAC. I'm assuming is the acronym. ATAC. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to look it, that up. That's really interesting. So essentially, yeah. triangulates your location based on. Well, your no, area. what it is is it's a it's a it's a mapping system. Okay, and and uh, then you're overlaying, you're putting your overlays of where people are and things like that onto that mapping system, and then every time I transmit, boop, it upgrades where I am on your system. Okay, so yeah, so it's a triangulation of where that handset is with a, a map overlay yep. yeah that's I, that's interesting that you can get consumer grade stuff i gotta look at that yep. because what what a great way of keeping track of uh you know whoever's on your team your family whatever mm -hmm. the case may be 
That's a yep. phenomenal piece of advice, Mike. Uh, yeah, that's that's wow. gr- it is wonderful kit right there. Uh, if you know Frosty from um, American Milsim, he is deep into that thing. That's really. I'm going to make a note of that. Uh, don't mind me here. Uh, I don't have Alzheimer's, but I got some timers. Sometimes I remember. Sometimes I forget. Uh, yeah. So, so I have to write everything down, or I lose it. So, Frosty from uh, Milsim. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll put you in contact with him. Yeah, I, and and I've got a bunch of TBIs, so. Five minutes from now, this conversation may have never happened in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Blown uh, up a time or two. Uh, yeah, I actually resemble that remark. Um, so taking it one step further, I mean, wh- what kind of advice could you give to people? Uh, for example, we're a minute from nuclear war right now. All it takes is one lunatic, you know, like Kim Jong-un in North Korea to let off one nuke. You know, I, I heard somebody, I don't know if it was a week before or a week before, it doesn't matter, but somebody said if they heard the words tactical nuke one more time, that their head was going to spin off because there's nothing tactical about nukes. One goes off, they all go off. So Actually, uh, actually on that, so if you look at, if you look at um, Russian and Soviet military doctrine, they actually, they actually segregate their nukes into a, into a tactical versus, versus strategic. Uh, kidding. methodology so they've got they actually have some very small sub kiloton nuclear weapons um and it's still i mean going all the way back into the 50s and 60s it's still part of their their um uh their concept of battle to use those things and they do not understand the concept that the west has of this huge taboo of absolutely no nuclear weapons at all they, they don't understand it and you're talking something you know sub kiloton something that's going to um wipe out say 10 square blocks of a okay. city, right that's it limited pulse everything like that so um yeah i mean that that's that's still on their list of cards and they don't understand why we're all freaked out about that they they really don't um and nuclear weapons are not it's not the end all okay it's not going to you know you pop one they're all not necessarily going to fly good to know okay not necessarily um and i, I presume you re- read that article that i wrote about uh, about north korea i did yeah uh, the the biggest problem that say North Korea has, they can launch it. Um, the big problem is they can't get a very big warhead on the platforms that they have. Miniaturization. Everybody talks right. about oh, you know, there's this and there's that. And the big common denominator that determines whether a nuclear power is a nuclear power is miniaturization. Any but any idiot can make a nuke. Okay. All right. If you've got a 40 foot container to cram it into. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, throw a little lead lining on it and and there's your there's your nuclear container. Okay. But if you want to put it at the end of a missile, you got to miniaturize. And miniaturization is difficult. There's a whole lot of extra physics that goes into that. Um, there's a lot of extra technology. Now we worked we worked miniaturization heavily because well, you know, some of the paperclip uh, boys that we got out of Deutschland in the 40s, they were big on miniaturization. They understood what was going on. The Nazis understood this long before we did. Um, and between we got we got miniaturization and we got targeting information, uh, you know, work out of those guys. The Russians got the Russians got bigger weapons um information out of their paperclip guys so 
our weapons significantly more accurate all right but miniaturization is key if you can't get it small you can't put it on the end of a missile you can't um, or you got to have a bigger missile and then it's still going to fly a lot slower it's got to go a long ways i mean you're talking all the way across the pacific what are we talking about eight thousand miles right. something like that yeah. that is a long way to go especially if it's getting shot at as soon as it lifts off it's getting shot at from japan it's getting shot at from guam it's getting shot at by the navy right once it hits apogee up top now we've got now we've got stuff like um you know ground-based interceptor uh which and the gbi system is absolutely outstanding um it's it's shooting stuff i mean it's capable of, of hitting stuff all the way up at its apogee which is you know exo uh atmospheric okay so once it's i mean even when it's outside the atmosphere doesn't matter that that system still shoot at it um and then it's coming down and it's getting even more stuff shot at it the entire time that it's coming down so it's so one you gotta get it to to fly which the North Koreans have been having problems with, right? Right. Um, and then you got to get it through all that, you know, all, all those interceptors. And then it's got to work after coming into the atmosphere and, and re-entering the, the, the Earth's atmosphere is not a happy environment to begin right. with. So honestly, I look at the North Koreans and I go, yeah, no. I mean, probably the biggest thing that the North Koreans are going to be able to shove over here might be might be a hundred kiloton device and that's and that's nothing to nothing to you know have problems with but it's it's not very it's it's on this on the scale of nuclear weapons it's not it's not really big and really what are they going to shoot it at you know the only thing that they can hit with their current lift platforms right now is pretty much that slice of the pacific northwest from portland up to the washington idaho border interesting yeah. yeah yeah so how would that compare strength wise to little boy you know uh world war ii in japan so um fat man was it fat man that was the first one i thought it was little boy or little man or something but i could yeah. be wrong All anyway those those two those two devices uh were approximately and this is all this is all guesstimate because nobody really honestly knows okay uh somewhere around 13 to 20 kilotons okay yeah um not big but still it's gonna you know it's gonna make a hell of a mess um and you you can't it's difficult to compare you see the photos from hiroshima and nagasaki and it's it's difficult to to compare striking one of those cities with a nuclear weapon versus striking a um you know striking a a modern city built out of a lot of brick and ferro concrete okay um you know for what it's going to do of course it flattened those cities because well they're made out of wooden paper that's interesting yeah so so um, I, I appreciate the education learn something new every day i had no idea that the russians had you know tactical nukes and yeah. strategies behind that and whatnot right um, so you know other than don't be at ground zero <laughs> you know yeah yeah step one don't be there um what are some things that that people you know could start getting their heads wrapped around as let's let's just say god forbid that we end up in a nuclear war with, with the bad guys um and they start hitting our cities and stuff like that besides you know getting out of dodge what are some of the other things that would come into play so i i, I always i always predicate all of this with 
one, I don't know what these guys are actually going to do because to tell you the truth, I don't think they, you know, they're politicians. I don't think they know what they're going to do half the time. Um, and two, probability, the laws of probability, the probability of this actually happening is very slim still. Okay. okay. Very slim, especially with the Chinese. If you look at the Chinese, you know, what, what's, what's the end goal? They're going to shoot a nuke at their best, at, at their best uh, client. Right. You know, I mean, we buy we buy more of their goods than anybody else on the planet. Right. The Chinese are at heart, if anything, merchants first. Okay. If you look at the Chinese psyche. So, yeah. um, you know, the uh, honestly, I would say I would say probably more likely than anything else would be like some rogue Russian general or something like that, that, you know, in just pure desperation or something like that would kick off you know, an SS 21 or something like that. Okay. I don't know. Uh, okay. So, um, you start with your, your three tenants, let's say for sake of argument that somebody does lob a magic mushroom maker into a major U S Metro. Right. Or if, uh, if somebody, you know, gets a wild hair up their butt, uh, steals a weapon, brings it into LA Harbor, you know, in a, in a container ship or something like that, or San Francisco or Seattle, something like that. Just a quick point on that. So my brother-in-law was Navy Intel for 12 years and, you know, he ran the desk, uh, for Bayron and obviously he can't discuss that stuff very much, but in a nutshell, he said, you know, his job and the other people that he worked with was to track all of the, the most potent weapons that were in the Middle East right. and make make sure that they didn't get into the worst of the worst hands, right. accepting the fact that the, the the best of the worst were still bad guys and right. trying to keep it away from the worst of the bad guys sort of thing. Yeah, so, counter pro counter proliferation in the 90s was yeah, that was a that was a world right there when when everything everything had come apart in in Russia and all the nukes were up for play. So you've got a third world country that is coming apart at at the seams like a cheap Vietnamese suit. And <laughs> right. and there's nukes in play. Yeah, that yeah. And that was that that was a problem all the way up until uh, probably about 2010 time frame. Uh, that was always a question. Uh, great book on counter proliferation. If you happen to happen to ever stumble across it, called One Point Safe. If you saw the movie, uh, The Peacemaker, it's yeah. based on that movie okay. or based on that book. So it's not a novel, though. It's a, it's a real snoozer. If you if you are in a situation where you've got terminal uh, uh, insomnia, it, it's it'd save your life. So gotcha. that's funny. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned there were like three basic things. Uh, right. So the three tenets of uh of nuclear safety or radiological safety. Okay. Um and, and it's it's the three pillars. Time, distance, shielding. Right? TDS. Okay. All day, every day. Uh so uh let's start with distance. Of course, the first rule don't be there when it happens yeah right uh, or get as much distance between you and it as you can so the deal with distance and uh uh distance distance is 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 key so if you say i have uh i have 100 rems of gamma radiation at this distance right okay 
Now I double that distance. Are you familiar with the inverse square law? Yes. Okay. So if I double that distance, I have 100 rems at this reading. If I double that distance, I am down to, you reduce it by a factor of four. Okay. Now I have 25 rems at double that distance. Okay. Okay. And that is a constant with all ionizing radiations. Interesting. Yeah. It's, so, yeah, it's kind of like uh, decibels, just different. Right. Same, same right. Well, I mean, you know, sound is, is still a radiation. It's just a different form of radiation. Right. Uh, so just on the, on the, the, you know, the time and distance topics, um, obviously none of us have a crystal ball. So, you know, right. it's not like we know that there's an incoming nuke or anything like that. Right. I, I read that 22 million Americans last year, um, migrated from urban centers to rural areas mm -hmm. i mean it's not a trick question or anything but i can't think of anything else that that would right. be applicable unless you have some insight well um you know as usual look at what your target zones are um you know the only reason to hit la the only reason to hit seattle the only reason to hit san francisco uh the only reason to hit denver new york stuff like that is for the optics of it okay. that's it they're not they're not strategic um now granted those west coast a lot of those big the coastal cities they've got big ports all right say so you hit seattle you are going to screw up traffic throughout the entire united states big time um but like i i live out here by huntsville alabama right huntsville alabama man we have got we have got space command coming in here we have got uh ballistic missile defense command we've got you know huge nasa stuff we're a target again high value right? oh yeah we're 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 on the we're on the we're on the list again so i, I would not be surprised if we caught one out here um but that's going to be strategic that's going to be the russians or the chinese hitting us with that the north koreans can't they they, they lack the capability to be able to reach over here but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, and then you've got then you've got places with large military installations. Of course, you know, the, the large military installations are going to be the places that are going to catch something first. Okay. All right. Especially especially the joint bases. You know, if you look at you know, you're out in Washington, you look at Lewis McCord. Right. Um, okay. Or you look at the uh, you look at the big uh, nuke bases up in the Dakotas, Montana, the like, even Alaska. Hawaii, stuff like that. I mean, those places okay. are just loaded with military bases. So, so of course, stay away from the targets. If you're not near a target, it's not really much of an issue. And you also have to worry about, um, is there a target upwind of you? Because, of course, you're going to have downwind flow for anything that comes from that that detonation. So, so that's, you know, enough right now on distance. Um, time. Of course, if we look at, are you familiar with Half-Life? Yes. Okay. Very so, so. Right. So, uh, definition on Half-Lifes. So, the interval of time required for an atomic nuclei of a radioactive sample to decay to half of its initial value. So, if I have a, if I have a component of cesium-137 and it is at this point right now uh and its half-life is at 11 hours in 11 hours it will be at 50 percent of its initial value right 
Okay. So that's that's how. And then every 11 hours, it's going to decay to 50% of that current level in right. a long slope. So, uh, and then of course you've got, you've got, not only do you have decay, but then you've also got, you know, it's eventually going to change into other elements because cesium drops into borium, into barium, into, you know, and there, there's a, and those are all called daughter atoms and things like that. But yeah, it's, it's degrading rapidly into, into something else or not so rapidly, depending on the element that you've got. So, uh, so that's where time comes in. Time is actually your friend on, on these sort of things. Um, and you've got, uh, uh, and, and you know that's 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 why in in the bunker methodology is is first thing hit that timer time time counts okay um so yeah that that's a big point there and then there's shielding shielding is a good one shielding is tough though um you wind up needing a lot of things and shielding can be earth shielding could be um Shielding could be steel. Shielding could be lead. Water is probably one of the best shieldings out there. No, kid, I the did not know that. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Ionizing radiation does not penetrate water well at all. It and the big thing, it's kind of like light in that matter, where it fractures it and it makes it go in in different directions. Okay. Um. Yeah. So. Um, so that that's that's an issue uh but i mean you're talking about you're talking about basically having an olympic pool on top of your bunker is, <laughs> is what you're looking right. at in a situation like that but like i've worked with a i've worked with a couple bunker design companies who uh some folks up in um uh up in kansas city that that actually design these things and one one of the very first things that we did is we shifted where the water tanks are and we put them on top of the bunkers interesting right so we buried a little bit deeper but we put all the water tanks on top for added shielding so now you're dealing with soil and water and you know you're looking at you're looking at probably five six feet of soil and then probably three four feet of water so stupid question yeah would that water be safe to drink after an attack or it's it's contaminated no 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 okay so so i know you're talking shielding but let's say right. you know the bomb stop right and infrastructure is all blown to hell and back right so it's going to be important there's a misnomer about okay it's been it's been affected by 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 gamma radiation you can't drink it now why okay. you're going to and, and some things will hang on to residual they'll absorb a quantity of ionizing radiation and then they'll put that off but you're talking hundreds of thousands of rems okay. everybody around there's already dead i don't care how much i don't care how much shielding you've got you're basically at ground zero in a situation like that you're okay. in an area that much radiation hardly anything puts off i mean you're you're talking about the sun on that sort of thing so okay. yeah the the that's why you know you're, you're gonna get you're gonna get you know areas right around the crater they're gonna remain hot you know radio you know radioactivity wise for for decades but that's because you're in the zone of total destruction okay. still so uh so i mean um you know assuming you're not at ground zero right. uh 
does it make sense? Here's an interesting question for you, actually. Not too long ago, I went looking for, you know, bomb shelters because when we were kids, there were sirens all over the place mm-hmm. and there were shelters all over the place. And, and we had I, desks to hide under. Right. Yeah. If you get under your desk, you'll be safe. Right. Same thing goes for lunatic, you know, mass shooters um, in gun free zones. Um do we have any shelters left? Because I could not find anything as far as the state of Florida or Georgia was concerned, which is where my wife and I live and go back and forth. Uh, probably about the best thing that you're going to look for in a situation like that is going to wind up being uh, <laughs> going to wind up being tornado shelters. But uh, civil defense shelters, civil defense shelters don't exist anymore. That's what that's kind of what I gathered from the search, yeah. but I didn't know for sure. Yeah. But, so. Uh, now you can look now a lot of those places still exist they're just you know either out of use completely or in use doing something else things like that you still go there you know i mean there's a old world war ii armory in daytona beach right on the intracoastal and you know it's it's covered up in dirt soil and everything you know it's the old looks like a quonset hut right it's like a half round deal. yeah igloos. uh yeah it's the closest thing that i've seen to what we had when we were kids yeah so I'm just trying to get it through my head. Like if you're at ground zero, you know, you're incinerated basically. Um, The next thing, if you don't have a shelter, just, uh, you know, not too far away. um, The next best thing I'm guessing is to take iodine supplements so that your thyroid doesn't soak that up or. So, okay. Now that's when we start getting into, and, and the course that I teach on this is actually, it's actually in four parts um, and the bare bones minimum, that's uh, I'm skimming the top of this whole thing, just slicing the edge of the onion here. Okay. Um, the, the basic course that I teach on this is six hours long. Um, and that's wow. just for basic rad safety and understanding the concepts uh, of all of this. Um, but we get into, you know, we get into PPE and, you know, a quick primer on PPE and, and okay. everything like that. So, uh, but so the big thing now that you have to understand and and recognize is that there's two essential types of hazard coming off of, of radioactive hazard coming off of this. First is ionizing radiation. Now, ionizing right. radiation is a beam. Okay, uh, it is. We're talking about gamma. We're talking about X-ray, and we're talking about neutron radiation okay now that pulse is going to take 60 to 90 seconds and then it's gone it's never going to exist again well you have a primary phase and you have a have a secondary phase okay. um, the primary phase 60 to 90 seconds it's over it's never happening again it is hard radiation it is it's going to penetrate through all kinds of stuff it is going to tear stuff up but then it's gone Okay. Um, One thing to always remember about human physiology when it comes to ionizing radiation is radiation is cumulative. Okay. So any radiation damage that you have is cumulative. I think I've got, I think I've got somewhere around 18, 18 rems equivalent for my, for my entire career, which is nothing. Okay. Okay. Uh, You really don't even have to start worrying until you, uh, you, you don't even really have to start looking at it really, really hard until you hit over 100 REMs accumulated. Um, a thousand is the equivalent of of what everybody considers to be a life dose. And of course, that's going to be different for everybody, especially the older that you are. Um, 
uh, old, because we're older, you're over 45, your metabolism has slowed a lot, your chances of getting leukemia, bone cancer, anything like that are significantly reduced below what anybody else is going to is going to have. So uh, if you've got somebody that has to be, you know, on the most hazardous side, put the older people there. One, you're going to live less. I mean, I've got less, let's face it, we've got less life left in us at this yeah. point, just chronologically speaking. Right. Um, so, you know, the chances of us being there longer are, are, are lower, but at the same time, then we're also looking at a question of, of our metabolism being lower and, and everything, you know, the, our chances of, of acute radiation sickness are, are, are lower okay. um, that, and I'm not going to lose my hair. So, <laughs> Oh, that's already happened. But uh, so that's your ionizing radiation. Now, X-ray, X-ray is not nearly as damaging as gamma and neutron are. Neutron is just awful. You get a huge neutron pulse uh, off of a nuclear weapon. It is very, very strong, depending on the size of the weapon, the larger the gotcha. weapon, of course. You know, plus yeah. you also have to do with, you know, cobalt jacketing and, and the like neutron, uh, neutron boosting. So uh, you get that. Um if you get if if you catch a big neutron pulse, forget it. You're done. Okay. Um, you hear you hear a lot of the guys. Uh, a lot, you read a lot of analogies out of the uh, uh, out of the stuff from the, the testing from the fifties, and also the uh, um, the event where they were tickling the dragon's tail uh, in uh, in New Mexico back in the forties when uh, when they had those two clamshells of plutonium smacked right. together, and everybody saw a blue flash. Everybody that was there, they saw a blue flash. Well, there's okay. actually no blue flash. Uh, all uh, cameras have tried to record it, everything like that. It actually doesn't happen, uh, but it's it's the neutron pulses going in and uh, basically burning out your your optic nerve or a portion of your optic nerve. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, you see that? Forget it. May as well enjoy yourself for the next 24 hours. That's about all you got. <laughs> <laughs> 24 to 48 hours you're done okay but shielding again shielding slows down neutron pulses significantly okay gamma will travel a lot further through a lot further things because it moves slower than the neutron okay. um so it's going to basically bore its way through a lot more stuff but you can still get out of it okay um this is you know nuke is survivable that's what so many people just don't understand. Nuke is okay. survivable. You can get past this. All it takes is just a little bit of brain power. You know, get yourself into, uh, you know, if you can get yourself into a stairwell or into the center of a building, even in even into like, um, you know, for shielding purposes, if you can get yourself like into, a, a, you know, into an open elevator inside of the center core of a large concrete building. Okay. And you've got a ton of shielding on you at that point. Okay. You really do. Don't let the doors close, of course. <laughs> yeah. Then then you're stuck. <laughs> if you've never had to pry your way out of an elevator before, you're going to learn today. Um, well, I, I, I competed for years on uh, the national powerlifting team. And uh, we were at a meet in Reno, Nevada years ago. And I was competing 275 at the time. And I was the smallest guy who got on this elevator. There were five other guys that were all super heavy. So that's over 308 pounds. And I can't remember what the weight limit was on that elevator, but we weren't inside of it for 10 seconds and it broke. 
and thank God we was on the first floor, but the whole thing, you know, snapped and we hit the springs below that. And then we were trapped, you know, the, the door spot this much room, you know, when you open it up to get to the, the floor. So, yeah. And you were yeah. the only one small enough that was going to be able to squeeze out that hole at 275. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. So, so that's, that's your ionizing radiation. That's, that's your, right. that's your, your, your beams. Um, then you switch over and you have got to look at your particulate radiation hazard. Okay. Um, now particulate radiation is an actual physical piece of material. Now, a lot of the time, a lot of the time that is a component that has been, um, and this is commonly termed fallout. Um, and, what you're looking at is is you've, you've got a couple of primaries. You've got cesium-137, you've got strontium-90, and those are the primaries that come off of uh, off of a weapon itself. Um, now, what you were talking about um, taking um, taking iodine. your yeah your potassium iodine pills that is that is to that is a prophylactic to protect you against uh, radioactive iodine, which is iodine-131, 132, 34, 35. That is a fission byproduct. A nuclear weapon actually puts off incredibly small quantities of that. Okay. Okay. The primary place that you get a lot of radioactive iodine from is a faded giant event like Chernobyl, where you're you're dealing with with a meltdown. Okay. situation so it's and and that's the big problem with a with a with a nuclear reactor breakdown is that it's it's not putting out a huge quantity of of radiation and material but the problem is it's putting it out constantly over a long period of time that was the problem with chernobyl is it was putting out you know it was pumping out smoke and all kinds of nasty for weeks and you know that that downrange plume just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it's pushing it out all over the place so so the the prophylaxis of potassium iodide what that does is that fills your thyroid with a iodine that is uh that that your system can actually metabolize right iodine 127 right iodine 27 so the 131 32 35 the like can't find any space in there so it just goes through your system Okay. Um, one thing to always remember is that it's a course for what is it? Two weeks, fourteen days, something like that. I think it is. Yeah, th- I mean, the recommendation is to have a month's worth, but it's typically two weeks. Right. So that's your course, twice a day for for ten, fourteen days, the like. But you also need to look at once you're done with that course, you got to give your thyroid a break. I want to say it's like. 10 days between courses, something like that, you right. know, check, check with a medical provider. Don't, yeah. don't, don't stick <laughs> right. with me on that one, but yeah, there's supposed to be a break between courses on that, or you will wind up with, you know, your thyroid being this big and, you know, looking like a goiter and, and right. yeah, that's, that's, that's not good. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's, that's where your, you know, that, that's where your potassium iodide comes in. So, now let's look at so say cesium one thirty seven cesium one thirty seven primarily that's your that's your big one that is what everybody's going to call alpha contamination okay, okay. alpha contamination is approximately it's about the same size as talcum powder in size okay, okay? now alpha contamination cannot penetrate your skin 
Uh, it's putting off very, very low quantities of, uh, of X-ray radiation, but it is breaking down so fast. And I mean, really fast. It's breaking down so fast that that first, that first say, 11 hours, okay. that's where you hear the concept of crackling dust. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's actually producing a lot of static electricity around it, things like that. Um, now, so you've got two CZ-137s. You've got regular CZ-137. It's got a half-life of 30 years. Okay. You're going to have some of that, but predominantly you're going to have CZ-137 MIBA, um, and it has a half-life of two and a half minutes. And that's the predominant type that you're going to wind up with. Wow. Now, it's putting out quite a bit of nasty stuff. And you can't actually measure the um, you can't actually measure the X-ray coming off of it because it's so unstable. It's up and down. And it's all over the place, going all over. Um, but what you can do, and it's measured in counts, you have to have a totally separate monitor for that. You have to have an alpha contamination monitor okay. to be able to measure that. Okay. So I've got a Geiger counter. Good for you. Okay, Geiger counters or Geiger Mueller tubes, whichever, those are built specifically to measure ionizing radiation. Um, don't think that you need to go get a neutron uh, monitor because I'm here to tell you they they have a default setting of going to going to whatever point on their needle that it goes to and just staying there. Because then the people that come along, you know, a couple days later and pick up the meter right next to your corpse go, oh, yeah, this guy pulled 10,000 counts or 10,000, you know, sievers, whichever right off the bat. Yeah. yeah no wonder he died. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So don't even worry about a, a, a neutron monitor. And, and uh, you know, the so you've got you've got a gamma monitor. Um, you can get an X-ray X-ray monitor, but they're 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 difficult they're expensive it's 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 unnecessary um honestly honestly i stick with i stick with multi-option monitors uh you know i mean professionally because of what we do we've got we've got our systems and they they're multi-option i can do alpha i can do i can do gamma i can do uh i, I mean i can do uh, i can do beta the like i can do all kinds of fun stuff with the same monitor um and it's self-calibrating that's the big key so so um but your 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 alpha contamination is going to break down very very quickly Okay. It floats on the wind. Um, once you achieve approximately 10,000 counts, um, it's going to basically hang in a fog. There, there's actually a practice room out in, in Albuquerque at the Department of Energy facility where they've got a high alpha contamination room. You walk into it and it's like, it's literally, it's like walking in fog, but it's like 30,000 counts of alpha contamination in the room. And, and that's bad. So how is the alpha going to actually affect you? If it gets on your skin, who cares? It's not going to do anything to you. Okay. okay? It's, it's talcum powder. You wipe the stuff off. It's, it's not a problem. The only way that it's going to affect you is if you breathe it, right? You're getting it into your mucous membranes that way. If you eat it, that's why there's no eating in, in these environments. And then if you, if it happens to get into your eyes, once again, it's, it's entering through your mucous membranes, it's opening, entering through open cuts, anything like that. Okay. Um, and of course, if you just survived a nuclear blast, you may have a lot of glass cuts and you're getting a bunch of that stuff into your system. Um, but like I said, until you hit, until you hit with, with, uh, alpha, until you really hit, I think the OSHA point is 5,000 counts which is significant. 
Um, they don't even OSHA doesn't even recommend that you need to mask until you hit like 500 counts. Okay, uh, the military uh, we were usually at the 1,000 counts mark. Okay. You know, but uh, yeah. So, so and it just it just depends on what you're dealing with in so that kind of a situation. I'm just I'm going through my notes here before we wrap up. So you know, if you're in an urban center and it's being attacked, let's say it's conventional warfare, it's not nuclear, mm-hmm. uh, get in the habit of moving cover to cover, uh, make sure that you're looking up as well as, you know, laterally, which is, we talk situational awareness all the time. Right. Uh, you know, comms are really important. We're going to look into that ATAC stuff. I'd really like to talk to Frosty at Milsim. And then if, if we take a bad situation and we make it worse and introduce a, a nuclear element, Right. Um, if there's a tornado shelter close by, that's probably a good place to get. Otherwise, better nothing. Building, yeah. Sort of basements, thing. basements are beautiful places, provided the building doesn't come down on you. Right. <laughs> and then you know you, you talk you know time, distance, and shielding. So that half life, you know the 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 more time you've got on your hands, the better. Uh, getting far away, especially from uh, high value targets like uh, military installations mm-hmm. and uh, shielding, whether it be, you know, earth, steel, land or lead, pardon me, water, those sort of things. Uh, having some iodine on hand, having a, uh, you know, a mask, like a tactical mask that's got eye cover as well as breathing. Yeah. A full face, a full face mask is a great thing uh, in these sort of things just for, for respiratory hazards. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I mean, even if with all the, with all the pulverized, pulverized concrete in a, in an environment like that. So sorry there, Mike, uh, that's just my alarm reminder that I've got to get to another meeting. No but- problem. I'm, I'm going to take all of your notes. I'm going to put okay. them down below in uh, the description for everybody. Uh, so I got a favor to ask. And if we can make it happen, that's great. If not, that's okay as well. If there's any way that we could get you and Frosty on survival dispatch news at the same time, uh, we have a huge uh, interest amongst our followers with regards to communications and ham radios and all that stuff. As well, you should. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that would be a really amazing conversation if we could put something together like that. But, uh, at, you know, at the end of the day, Mike, really appreciate you coming on. Really appreciate your service to our country. Um, look forward to speaking with you some more in the future. Uh, that six-hour course sounds really interesting. I'd like to discuss that with you offline. Oh, it's a drudge. It's it's so painful. <laughs> well, I, th- I think that kind of depends on, you know, uh, where your knowledge base is. But, right. Uh, so here's my next meeting. Grace has just, just jumped in here, Mike. So I'm going to okay. wrap, wrap this one up. And uh, like I said, thank you once again for everything. And stay in touch. We'll talk to you soon, Mike. Hey, stay safe out there, kids. Hey, guys. Today's video is brought to you by Top Don. Now, everybody needs to carry a jump box in their vehicle. This is more than just a jump box. This is a 3,000 peak amp jump starting tool and power bag. Now it will support vehicles with 12 volt batteries up to nine liter gas engines and seven liter diesel engines. It's capable of 45 jump starts on one single charge. As always, we'll have a link below so you can check it out. And a big thanks to Top Don and Jump Search 3000.